see no evil. A DC Entropy audio drama by Wolf Beaumont. Episode 2. Starring Thomas Cadillac Panter as Alan Scott. Noel McCann as Captain Jim Corrigan. Aubrey Poppleton as Hannibal Hawks. And as Prince Khufu. Spencer Coles as Satesh. Catherine Fox as Dr. Ethel Peabody. Lucas Webley as Jason Blood. And Harley Cumberly as Madame Xanadu. Tonight's no different from any other. I dream of the same desert. The same boy trekking across its barren sands with his steed until the storm is upon him and he's thrown down into a valley of dunes. I see him helpless and alone, once again half buried, yet I am powerless to help. Thus the day slips by and the first stars begin awakening when he hears footsteps. The boy cries out a single name, and I am overcome with emotion again. Uh, Shehara. Where do I know that name from? Why can't I remember? Long after the stars have claimed the sky, he awakens. I awaken. A small fire pushes back against the night chill of the desert. I notice Saba nearby firelight gleaming off his pale coat. I was getting worried about you, Kupu. You slept most of the night away. Setesh, how did you find me? A boy a few years older than me sits by the fire, 
dark skin casting his thin face in shadow. You weren't that hard to track. You'd be a terrible hunter, you know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I laughed, shoving him playfully. You do realize your father's got guards searching the entire city for you, right? They're probably breaking down the door of some old woman's house as we speak. While she's in the middle of washing herself. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, what are you doing, Nadia Kufu? It's Shayara set. She ran away from the temple when father decreed she'd be betrothed to Adam. Adam? Your brother? If he finds out she fled, father will have her executed. Wait, wait. Chayara is to marry Adam? But he's already married, and he's twice her age. It's another one of his cruel tricks, for sure. Test of our loyalty and obedience. Adam will do as he's told, you know him. He's always the dutiful son. But why would Chayara be out here? There's a place we used to go, before father claimed me as his own. A sacred spring, inside this old abandoned temple dedicated to Horus. Our mothers would take Shayara and I there sometimes to pay respects, but mostly to bathe and swim in the waters. If I know Shayara, that's where she's hiding. I rose to my feet, grimacing. Can you walk? Uh, I'll be fine. If we leave now, we should get there just after dawn breaks. Then what are we waiting for? Lead the way, your highness. He nudged me, grinning. We passed the night, walking a gentle pace through the desert, talking as friends do. We'd known each other since we were old enough to walk, and by the time we could talk, we were both as thick as thieves and up to no end of mischief. When it came time for us to work, we both took jobs as water carriers. That's when everything changed. I had been sent to deliver water to the home of some mad old priest named Nabu, when all hell broke loose, and I found myself living in the royal palace overnight, with Nabu claiming that gods had chosen me for some insane destiny or some such crap. But that was another story entirely. Becoming the son of a pharaoh changed everything. Jaira got sent into the care of Hathor's priestesses, all but disappearing from my life until I figured out how to sneak away from the palace and evade my guards. Thankfully, I'd managed to keep Setish close as a royal companion, no less. He was expected to keep an eye on me and see my needs were met. To say he took his role seriously would be a joke. Setish was more of a brother to me than Adam ever could be. Adam, who was another one of our father's runts, picked out from some mines he'd been working in by Nabu to serve the throne. Only Set knew how to enjoy life. We walked quietly through the night, watching the heavens dance in awe, wondering at what it could all mean. Dawn came amidst the swirling colors of a magenta clear sky, the last stars fading into memory one by one until an iridescent red sun rose from the underworld, igniting the desert into a world of light and shadows. Satish and I reached the cliff overlooking a hidden canyon before the sun had half-risen, the old abandoned temple visible in the distance, buried in the canyon walls. Climbing down in the canyon's cool shade, for a moment I remembered my mother bringing me here as a small boy, she told me a great river once ran through its gullies, 
before the pharaoh had diverted its wander to irrigate the lands to the east. As we approached the temple, I felt tiny by comparison. The old stone facade seemed fashioned by the gods themselves. Two huge statues rising from the cliff face, carved in the likeness of the hawk god Horus himself. They each flanked the temple's elaborate entrance, a crevice stretching into the darkness. Great Ra! What is this place, Kufu? I've never seen anything like it. It was a temple built over a spring which fed into the waters of this canyon. After my father dammed the river upstream, the nearby settlements had to be abandoned. The world forgot about this place. Hello! 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 Setish's voice echoed off the canyon wall receding into the distance. An eerie silence followed in its wake, devoid of life. Not an insect or bird dared disturb the sacred place. Let's head inside. We can leave Saba here. We'll be back for you, boy. The short climb up the temple steps took us past the ruined carcasses of several riverboats, the water once having reached all the way up the temple steps. The doorway stood before them, fifty feet in height, its pitch-black crevice beckoning them ominously as a slight breeze flowed out from within. Are you sure about this, Kufu? Since when have you been afraid of the dark? He shoved me with a grin before walking purposefully across the threshold. I took one last look out at the canyon, the day's shadows growing shorter by the moment. We'll be fine, I whispered, stepping into the darkness, not knowing how very wrong I was. I rushed through the cobbled streets, the dark sky burnishing into a saffron velvet along the eastern rim, the stars fading one by one, brought to slumber by the coming dawn. The streets were already growing busy, a horse and carriage passing by. I saw the dark smoke of factory chimneys in the distance, the city beginning to awaken to another day of industry. I still marvel at the ingenuity of man, a feeling that mixed with an inescapable horror is the way they pillaged the land, ignorant of the suffering they wrought upon nature. So much had changed in the past few thousand years. It could be disorientating at times. If I concentrated, I could still hear the green whispering around me, the murmur of a distant, all but forgotten brook. I recalled the vision once again as I turned the corner of the main boulevard. The Gotham Opera House lay ahead of me. Its imposing Gothic facade stood tall above much of the city. Great columns rose along the front. Filled with statues of angels and demons, staring ominously down at the urban sprawl in judgment. Turning to an alley beside the opera house, I recognized it immediately, seeing the same columns, the same walls, stretching to the darkness. Police officers stood at the alley entrance, clearly guarding it. I reached into my dress. Thankful I'd remembered to bring my medicine pouch. 
and poured a particular finely grounded herbal mixture into my hand as I whispered an incantation. The officer stared at me intently as I approached, sick bushy eyebrows frowning in consternation. He stepped forward. Miss, I'm afraid you can't. <coughs> Rock loose a powder into his face. For a moment he struggled before breathing in. Then the spell and herbs did their work. His truncheon fell, forgotten to the ground, and the man slouched in posture, his mouth gaping in stupor, eyes staring without awareness at the ground. It would only last a few minutes and be unnoticed once he came to his senses. I had to hurry. Crashing down the alley, I experienced intense deja vu. I could feel the young man walking those same cobblestones, his drunken feet stumbling about as he hummed a little tune. As I turned the corner, I felt the phantom pain as a cold, hard knife whipping through my throat. Sam's throat. stared at the bloody ground, the bodies already taken into custody. I felt it immediately. A shiver across my neck, an heightened awareness of the senses, the unmistakable taste of dark magic in the air, and the putridness overwhelming. I gagged. My flesh gripped in a cold sweat. I gasped for air and leaned against the corner, fighting the rising bile in my throat. I know how you feel. <gasps> the stench of it is everywhere. Gerson? Is it really you? Hello, Nimmer. It's been a long time. You've aged. Have your ties to the green truly grown so faint? The world changes, Gerson. It's been more than 1,500 years, and yet I see you have not aged a day. Courtesy of the beast, I'm afraid. And it's Jason now. Jason Blood. You still have a flair for the dramatic, then? No more than you, Madam Zanadin. You've been watching me. But how did you find me? And what are you doing here? We never lost you, Nimmo. He made sure of that. I've been studying magic for centuries. I've learned to read the signs, like you. When one of my wards broke tonight, I knew powerful magic was at play, and came to investigate. He's still with you? <laughs> you haven't changed, have you? Yes, he's still here. I can feel him trapped inside me, a coiled serpent waiting to strike. Even now he claws at my mind, desperate to reach you. Since the curse still binds you as one. Indeed. My father's magic still ties the beast and I together, until I find a way to be free of him once and for all. But enough of the past, Nimmo. I take it you had a vision of this place. Yes. I saw the murders, but the perpetrator was hidden from me. Now I know why. I've never felt such magic before, Jason. Something terrible has come to Gotham. I know. I feel it too. Perhaps Etrigan. No, do not speak that vile name to me. 
I will not summon forth your pet, nymph. For better or worse, we are alone in this. Very well, but we have to stop them, Jason. Nothing good can come from this. Whatever design is at work, we must put an end to it before it's too late. We may not be enough this time. So we must find others to help in our quest. As you wish. But be careful, Nimmo. Whatever moves through the shadows of Gotham may already be aware of us. I'll find you when I know more. And with those words, Jason Blood turned around, abruptly walking away, his long coat billowing in a sudden breeze that sent a shiver through my skin. Jason Blood, at long last he had returned. Perhaps I'd finally see him again too. Dr. Peabody. Hmm? Yes? Who is it? Excuse the intrusion, miss. I'm Captain James Corrigan. I was looking for Dr. Peabody. Well, you found me. How can I assist? I see. Perhaps there's a supervisor I can talk to, miss. It's Doctor. And there's no one here but me, Captain Corrigan. I'm also rather busy, so unless you're willing to dispense with your ideals of chauvinistic patriarchalism, I've got more important things to do. Now see here! No, Captain. I dare say you should see. After I graduated summer cum laude at Yale and then spent six years treating trauma wounds at St. Rock Mercy Hospital, I arrived here in Gotham, only to discover that Gothamite sensibilities do not allow for women of higher aspirations. And now I find myself relegated to working in the city morgue. Do you know how many people die in Gotham on a daily basis, Captain Corrigan? Well, I... Allow me to be frank. It's far more than this morgue can handle, and I am left to manage it alone without staff or bursary. As if such trust by the hospital board allots for the insult in keeping me locked up down here. Uh, if I could just see the victims from the Gotham Opera House, Dr. Peabody. Ah, yes. The so-called Ripper victims. We don't know that it is Jack the Ripper yet. True, true. Very well. Come with me. Felton, best wait here. I'll be back in a minute. Here they are. My god, woman. What have you done to them? Calm yourself, Captain. I opened the female victim's chest cavity to better surmise the blade length. And the male victim's wound held foreign matter I was able to retrieve, once I partially severed the spine and examined the throat's interior of course. And what the hell do I tell their families when we hand the bodies back over? I'll close them up before, obviously. They'll never notice anything was amiss, you have my word. Fine. What can you tell me about the killer, at least? 
Not much, I'm afraid. Bruising around the female's throat suggests she struggled considerably. So the killer was evidently strong enough to fend off her defense. They used a knife approximately 12 inches long, and judging from the width of it, I'd say it was a butcher's knife. However, it seems the male victim was struck first, given I only found foreign matter in his neck wound and not in the girl's stab wounds. Have you been able to identify it? Indeed. I believe it to be pig's blood. That ties in with the blade being a butcher's knife, which may be of some use to you, I'm sure. That could mean any butchers from here to Bloodhaven, Doctor. I need more to go on than that. I'm afraid that's all I could surmise. Both victims died of blood loss. But I can't tell you anything more, I'm afraid. Well, at least it's more than we had before. Thank you. Do you really think it could be this Ripper from London? It's too soon to say. There's every possibility this was just solicitation turned violent. Mr. Archer could have simply been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the killer covered his tracks by getting rid of them both. How easily you assume she was selling her body, Captain? From all accounts, she was a prostitute, Doctor. If you'll forgive my vulgarity. I have to follow the most logical explanation. What reason does a man have to kill two people? One a lady of the night, and the other a drunk gentleman, wandering the alleys of Gotham. Samuel Archer could easily have been killed for intervening after her client turned violent. And so you assume this gentleman was an innocent third party. But what if you've got it backwards? What if the killer was targeting Mr. Orchard, and this woman was simply an innocent bystander? Surely killing the son of one of Gotham's most wealthy families is more credible as a motive. Do you think I was born yesterday, Doc? I've been policing these streets for nigh on 20 years. Now if that's everything, I think I'll be off. Good luck, Captain. Look, she says. I'll show her luck. Felton! Get us a carriage! We're gonna pay a visit to Orchard Manor. A dark fog billowed through the carriage, an eminent presence filling it with a foreboding chill. For a moment, fear paralyzed me, my heart frozen with an inescapable terror before I found the courage to stand up and look deeper into the fog. As I did, I noticed a large set lady in a nearby seat stir. Peering into the darkness, I was trying to make something out of the eerie shadows when the night sky's clouds chose that particular moment to part. A bright full moon, catching the train as it crossed a tall bridge, the low moon igniting the carriage in a silver glow. In the carriage's gray fog, a sword gleamed as it plunged into the neck of a sleeping passenger. Suddenly, the woman I'd noticed stir moments before began to scream. Her eyes witnessed to the same blood-curdling horror as my own. 
The carriage came alive with panic all at once. A group of black-clad phantoms stepping out of the fog. Their faces swathed in dark cloth as they cut through the crop of fearful people, each clamoring to escape bloodthirsty swordsmen. Hoo-ha-la! The old Chinaman opposite me shrieked. He scrambled beneath the seat, but his case was too large to fit into the confined space. They have found me, he whispered frightfully, his eyes fixed on mine, filling with a certain dread. He tried again to squeeze his body deeper into the seating's recess. I ducked down between our seats, peering around the corner as the figures continued butchering the fleeing people, their screams ringing through the carriage. What's going on? Who are they? I whispered urgently. Chante Tihua! They come for this! He gripped the case harder. My god, man! Give it to them! They're, they're gonna kill us all! Shatzu, you not understand. They must not find it. Without thinking, I grabbed the case and ripped it from his arms. Dingji, he screamed as I stood up with the case. I, I have what you're looking for, I called out, my voice shaking with terror. The assassins frozen in unison, staring back at me with dead eyes. Just, just take it and leave us be, please. One of the strangers stepped forth, a tall, lean man, only eyes visible beneath the black swings. Kill him. The words, thick with an oriental accent, came out no louder than a whisper, but they carried across the carriage, as sure as a death sentence. One of them charged forward, sword raised, ready to cut me down. Barely on instinct, I raised the case at the last second, the sword cleaving it in two, the blade's tip slicing across my chest. Papers and assorted clutter exploded out of the ruined case, my body crashing to the floor. The blade had cut loose the letter in my jacket pocket, and as I lay there, my blood seeped across its surface. The attacker looked down eyes filled with malice. Lifting his sword to deliver the final blow, time seemed time to slow in a I saw everything with perfect clarity. The old Chinaman, hands covering his eyes with fear, still cowering from his hiding spot, my blood dripping drop by drop from the assassin's blade. The letter half-soaked in blood, the last vestiges of Sam torn from me, and I closed my eyes, knowing what came next. Somehow, all the fear washed away in that moment. Everything would be okay now, and somewhere, Sam and I would be together again. In the darkness, Green flared behind my eyelids, and as I opened them, I caught the fading glint of an emerald green light. As my eyes focused, I noticed a ring, but one unlike any I had ever seen before. It glinted out from beneath Sam's letter, only visible from my particular angle on the floor. 
made of an emerald material of such depth that swirling Viridian Nebula could be seen billowing through its very composition. Its carved face held a sculpted circle, stood between two pillars. As I stared into that ovid darkness, a light within pulsed forth once more, and I felt its green warmth wash over me. From the corner of my eye, I noticed the assassin's blade begin its descent, but I barely noticed. My thoughts were consumed by the ring, and through some instinctual compulsion, I reached out with my fingers, grabbing desperately for it. If you're lucky, there's a moment in your life when you realize that this is your path. That you are in the perfect moment, at the perfect time, traveling towards a goal you can't fully see or know, but one you can trust in, implicitly. It's a feeling that can define who you become, if you let it take you. That same feeling spread through my body now, a calm assurity of knowing, of believing, a state of mind that brought these paradoxicals into synchronized unison. The cold waters of logic mixing with the fires of creativity that my will be done. I felt the blade pierce my flesh with a certain tenacity, a scream rupturing from the very bowels of my being, erupting into a hellish explosion of green fire that consumed the carriage in a furious emerald light. My assailant was thrown clear across the carriage, crumpling to the floor, limp. I raised myself to my feet, blood pouring from the deep wound, puncturing my stomach, my right hand alight with a scorching green fire, its blades of light cutting through my fist, clenching the ring. Kill him! The assassin's leader roared. The phantoms raced towards me, leaping over furniture, their swords swinging with sinister purpose. I felt the same mixture of cold calm and burning adrenaline ferment inside me once more. And as the first assailant swung across, I raised my arm out of pure instinct. My only thought to block the blow. Madness until it wasn't. I immediately felt the green light course through me, electric and elemental. It coursed through my blood, through my flesh, my soul forming a shield of light between my arm and the weapon, but a moment before it struck true. The sword rebounded forcefully out of the assassin's hands. For the briefest second, it made the others pause before they all attacked at once in earnest. I felt the same sensation again. This time, a dome of green light forming between me and the assailants. The distant sound of swords clanged and reverberated through the construct as they pummeled against it. Somehow, I could feel the blows sapping away at my mind, but I also somehow knew that my focus was the only thing keeping them at bay. The assault continued again and again, and I could feel myself fading, falling to my knees as the wound in my side ached with an agonizing urgency. 
close to passing out, I felt a sudden rush of strength inside me. Felt the emerald light of the ring still clenched between my fingers pour into me, a vessel of uncontainable power, such that the light itself poured from my eyes, and a voice rose from the depths of my lungs, ancient and prophetic, words I'd never heard but knew, a beacon calling me home. In brightest day, I rose to one knee. In blackest night, I raised the ring above me, green fire flaring forth from the omniscient light. No evil shall escape my sight. I found my feet grimacing at the wound. Let those who worship evil's might. The dome bubbled forth, pushing the assassins backwards. Beware my power! Green Lantern's light! The roar guffled. The explosion ripped through the carriage with such force, the windows exploded, and wooden furniture splintered across the room. Green electricity crackled about my person, eyes ablaze with emerald light. I stood there, panting from the exertion, my thoughts still struggling to catch up with the events occurring. Stop! I looked up, and I saw the assassin's leader once more. His minions picking themselves up off the floor, slowly. The old Chinaman lay slumped before him, the assassin holding his frail body up by his hair, cold steel resting against the man's throat. Give me the ring, or they all die. I saw the other assassins position themselves over the injured passengers, who cowered in terror, as much from me from these murderous assailants. You have no idea what you are dealing with, stranger. Give me the ring before you hurt someone, or I will. I stared into the Dark Master's eyes and realized I had a choice to make. <laughs>